Uh, no, I think so. He was offering me a turtle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, holiday season, you know. Tis the time. Welcome to Feather and Mountain Podcast, Season 2, Episode 11. We are, I am Delusions of Grendel, your host. With me, as always, is my co-host, Graham Confusion. Graham, how you doing? I am humbled and in awe and sitting here watching people and listening to people. I'm, I am so over my head this week. It's great. That's true. You, uh, you're, we're batting with the, the heavyweights this week, uh, joining us to discuss on our rewatch. I feel like I'm throwing <laughs> underhand to Aaron Judge. You know, like it's just, I know, and a lot of people are going, baseball? But I read, real, I read books. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. <laughs> joining us to discuss episode three on our rewatch, A Place of Safety, is none other than the Barside Chat Boys. Matt Hatch, Brian the Gleeman, how you two doing tonight? Fantastic. Fantastic, great. fantastic. Great to yeah, be here. Talking about the best episode in the season. So. Oh, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I'm in. Yeah, it's uh, episode Z three seems to be a favorite for many people. I know Joe from Talk Ran Riyadh has very strong thoughts about this, <laughs> as evidenced in their music video, <laughs> Somebody Dark Friend. Yes, yes. I think every episode of the season has strong reactions from fans. <laughs> uh. But this one, I don't know. Like, Matt, have you done a poll um, after after season one aired? I feel like episodes three and four directed by our pal Wayne Yip who did three episodes in the rings of power um I feel he's like he's everywhere he's everywhere uh episodes three and four did pretty well <gasps> yeah, are Brian you with the, the signed copy of the flex nice. that was a wow. that, that was a sign which which uh which episode was that episode, that was four, episode four signed script from Wayne nice yep from Wayne wow yeah Pretty Again, cool. uh, I'm I, I'm just not worthy. This is, I know, this is I know. I've got more things to make you feel um, <laughs> just like the casual or <laughs> like enough. three origin books we'll, in the we'll, background. We'll work you into it. It'll be fine. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Uh, <laughs> before we dive into episode step, three, step. Uh, you two have been pretty busy, pretty uh, pretty involved, doing stuff, going places. Um, Brian, why don't you start us off? Give us a little rundown about uh, Barside Chats has been up to, and then also your little OgierCon adventure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Barside Chats has been kind of... Uh, we've been busy working on a top secret project for most of the summer, um Brian, and, Brian's waiting uh, for me. Brian's waiting for I'm waiting me. for Matt. <laughs> Matt Matt is uh the, the project is in his hands right now and we have uh uh but hope, hopefully we'll have something in January ish to to share with you guys. It's a very special project. So we haven't been doing our weekly episodes for quite a while. Uh but we did do a uh interview with Michael Livingston, the author of Origins of the Wheel of Time. Uh, we, we did interview him uh, back in, um, October, full spoilers thing for the, for the book. Uh, although the spoilers aren't too bad. Um, but we were able to talk about certain chapters of the book before, uh, the book came out. And so we were able to do that. And then we dropped that on the release day on November 8th. So it's out there on our feed right now. You can go listen to it. It's the latest episode. Um, and we spent probably an hour and a half talking with Michael Livingston all about the books, about how, what it was like seeing the notes, 
some specific chapters around. My favorite one was around um, the the gender binary chapter in the book that um, nobody else has really talked about. And it's a very touchy subject. And I feel like Michael handled that really, really well yes. in the books. So um, so we, we did that. Uh, we also did, or I did, uh, Ogier Khan a couple weeks ago in Charleston, South Carolina for the book release of Origins of the Wheel of Time. Um, me and 13 of my closest friends went to a mansion in downtown Charleston in Airbnb. The kitchen had, I'm not even kidding, the kitchen had photorealistic bees painted on the ceiling in the kitchen. And I freaked out every time I looked up. I thought they were real bees. The, uh, like the, the coasters in the house had bees on them. The napkins, the, it was a bee-themed house. Are, are you allergic uh, to and bees? I think it was, uh, something about bees, but like we were near Bee Street, um, but I learned that Bee Street in Charleston is not named after the animal; it's named after a person whose name was Bee. But B-E-A. nonetheless, the house had bees all over the place. It was like Samael's house, and I was like, "This is really freaky." It was Fourteen of us uh, at the um, at this mansion in Charleston. It was wonderful. We got to hang out. We got to, we watched uh, the entire first season of nice. um, the Wheel that of Time so uh, cute. while we were there. We went to uh, different. We went to three different Asian restaurants, which is a w- weird thing to do in it, Charleston, South Carolina. Went in Carolina, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, went in South Carolina. Eat Vietnamese. Uh, okay. Uh, we saw Michael Livingston speak at the Citadel College, which is a military college where Robert Jordan uh, went. He was his alma, alma mater. Uh, Livingston then gave us a tour of his office, where he has Robert Jordan's desk. And the saber-toothed cat skull on his desk that both belonged to Robert Jordan at some point. Um, that was a really great experience. And then the next day, we went to uh, the Barnes & Noble to the book signing. We got our book signed. Uh, we did live streams. We answered lots of questions. Uh, it happened to be Michael Livingston's birthday a couple of days before. So we surprised him by singing Happy Birthday and embarrassing the hell out of him at a bookstore. Um, he told He was very upset. Very upset. But Rob, Malkier Talks, uh, made him feel better by giving him a bottle of gin from from Wales. So um, it, it all in all turned out to be a really great trip. We had a wonderful time. Um, there's T-shirts, uh, had OgierCon on them. It's like a street sign. Oh, and, and we got to take a tour of Harriet's garden, uh, which was cool. And Maria gave us a tour of her office, which was also very interesting. Um, it was just a wonderful trip. We got to see, all, see our friends hang out. Yeah. It, it looked incredible. And uh, I did notice that Michael Livingston, when he was on Threefold Talk uh, just a few days ago, so a week actually, when this recording um, comes out, it uh, and he was wearing his OgierCon shirt. Uh, he had yep. nothing but great things to say. And apparently all of his colleagues are incredibly jealous that uh, a <laughs> bunch of people came to tour his office and were like, people just wanted to like yeah. see where you work. <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was very strange he was like he was sitting out there and he's like uh i can't believe there's people lined up to go inside my <laughs> office um uh and so it was funny it was funny um he's just, he was just super humble the whole time like he couldn't believe that we were there um and every time we talked he would just stop and look at us and just blush because uh, he was so embarrassed at one point we were at the citadel college on monday night and he was talking about Robert Jordan. He has some artifacts from the library to share with us. Um, and uh, Rob Malkier Cox and Critter both had live streams going on their phones. 
uh, and one of them raised their hand and said, someone on the live stream has a question. And he goes, people are watching this? I was like, yeah. And then he just sits there and like, like blushes. I have a picture I can put on Twitter later. He's, he's just blushing. And so, um, he just couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. So, uh, it was really fun to be a part of that experience. That's for him. so awesome. Hey, I, I got a question for you guys. Cause you're obviously really deep into this wheel world. Um, have you noticed an uptake in enthusiasm and just general audience size since the TV show has come up? Have you, have you the, seen the fandom the increase? More? In, we've, we've seen people that were watching the show or had friends that got them into watching the show and they've gone and then read the books afterwards and joined in on those discussions. I think that's, I think they've, they've come in and said, Hey, what's the show? They've shared their experience in some cases or it, they've just shared that they started reading the books because of the show, and they were looking for people to talk uh, to the, you know, talk about the books with. So, uh, yeah, I think we've seen a most uh, kind of what I think all of us were hoping to see, which was mm-hmm. that this would lead to new people that would never have picked these books up in the first place to actually try this out because it's daunting. It's daunting oh, to yeah. pick up a fourteen book. Uh, yeah, series. it was less daunting, I think, when we all kind of picked it up at the beginning and we didn't know how long the series was going to be. <laughs> it's just right. like... Really? There's a new one and <laughs> right, a new right. one and a new one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more intimidating now that we know uh, there's an ending and it's 14 books and a prequel. Uh, so, Matt, you've been delayed, I guess, in getting your Barside Chats episode done, but you've been busy doing things getting studio space ready and going to dragon steel doing all the things what else else, uh what else have you been i think i've just been really busy this year thankfully the wheel of time has decided not to give us information (laughs) about season two um you know i say thankfully in the sense that i would i would then be fighting my life duties uh around my hobby uh desires so i've been able to focus solely on the fact that i have a new job and we've moved and uh, there's lots of life changes going on in my household. So then, uh, so a lot of my efforts this year have been just about kind of like <laughs> staying afloat with a new job and uh, and digging in there and not feeling like I'm wishing that I was, you know, doing my mid-afternoon live streams, but I couldn't do those because of work. Instead, I'm wishing I'm doing my mid mid-afternoon live streams. But I can't do them because the Wheel of Time is giving us has decided nothing. not to tell us anything. So I don't feel the guilt that maybe I would have felt. Uh, so that's been nice. That's been nice. I've, I've uh, now the only guilt I feel is that I'm holding back this amazing idea that <laughs> that Brian has started that that eventually we hope to kind of turn into something a lot of fun that will become a lot of fun for for Wheel of Time fans and. That's coming soon, unfortunately. Life is kind of like the old we've, website. We've had a couple of like, months. It, it makes com- sense. Coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I haven't no. done I've just kind of been watching more so than anything online, watching what everybody else is up to and just trying yeah, to stay not running 12-hour live streams, which I think yeah. after last year, yeah. it's okay. We can take a year off. The, the, the first couple of months were definitely content. necessary to take that time off. Uh, I, I think I did not want to do any live streams after <laughs> like January came around, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's been a nice break. I'm hoping 2023 is kind of like the, the kickoff to a fun year, uh, uh, but I, I don't think there'll, there'll ever be anything quite like the last three years or the three years before the show came out. That's just a unique, it's something unique uh, 
that we won't really have back just because we have a season two. But we'll we'll be able to do some of the same things. It'll it'll change, but uh, I think that as just the whole anticipation and just people just fandom. waiting for the the yeah. great release and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like when they were giving us crumbs, like literally just audio clips. Man, they know how to tease you guys, don't they? <laughs> like the bare bones of anything, and it would be like seven hours later. <laughs> Dusty Wheel wrapping up their stream. Yeah, I can't see that happening. Um, I No, I feel the same way. And I was kind of burnt out after season one wrapped. And I think it probably wasn't until JordanCon and then really WatCon where just being in that space and like the panels were so good and talking and getting hyped again um, and having that time to breathe really made me invigorated um, to get back into the world and to start talking about the show again. Yep. And uh, yeah, now rewatching uh, the show a year later, I am walking away from each episode a little bit happier than I was at the end of each episode last season uh, or sorry, um, last year during this time. Um, so let's get into it. Let's yeah. talk about a place of it. safety, which, uh, I mean, Matt, you've already said it's your favorite. Brian, where does this fall for you? It's uh, it's my favorite. If it's top two. Uh, it's either my favorite or my second favorite, depending on the day. Okay. And it's dueling with episode four? Four. That makes sense. I really liked four. Yeah. Um, okay. So episode three opens with yet another banger of a cold open it is Nynaeve versus Trolloc um we get everything we get Trolloc calves that are very well turned we get (laughs) uh, a little Trolloc on Trolloc action ripping out some innards we get Nynaeve's epic hair braid flip um which inspired lesby nerdy to start braid watch (laughs) 2021 (laughs) It's important. Uh, It's everything. We get the blood in the sacred pool after Nynaeve stabs the In the shape of the dragon Uh, tooth, right? Like that was... The shape of the dragon thing, yeah. Yeah. Look at you knowing things now. (laughs) I was going to say the yang, but yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, dragon fang, it's the yang. Um, (laughs) How does, or where does this rank in terms of cold open uh, for all three of you? Um, And how did it set the mood for this episode as we head into a little bit more slower pacing than the last two episodes? Those guys are thinking deeply. I'll I'll say, uh, I I, actually, I don't have, I can't remember all of the cold opens. Uh, My favorite is Blood Snow. My second favorite is the White Cloaks that was in episode two. Um, I I can't remember all the other ones. I loved it though. I did love it, and I think my favorite scene is the naive raising her head out of the pool. In that, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the movie that it, like Alien kind of predator uh, approach. I just thought Predator, yeah, Alien. It was just it was just beautiful, and the the fact that she kills the little mother is um, is outstanding. So. Uh, I, I, what I also will agree with you on is watching it. So if you guys don't know, I've only read the first book once. I, okay. I, yeah, I know. Okay, just bring it on. Let, let me <laughs> let me hear what it's all about. Everybody um, starts somewhere. And then, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and then Aaron said, stop reading. So I was like, okay, Corey, so we're going to do this thing and you're the never reader, but you've got one little thing where you read the book. And I read the book prior to the series coming out. Okay. So every time I was watching an episode, I'm like, what the? Why are you doing it? Where's the... 
I couldn't think. Anyway, so I, I will agree that without thinking about how the book flows, this episode was great. I don't know that it's my favorite episode, though, because uh, I actually can't remember all of four, six, four, five, six, seven, eight. I just know that eight's my least favorite, and uh, uh, three, three was solid, but I thought four was better, and I thought some of the other ones were great too. So, I, I don't. I am really intrigued to hear why you guys thought it was so good. I mean. A bit more of the wolves. Okay, dogs, wolves, dogs, wolves. Bad <laughs> casting. Um, you meet the dragon, uh, the supposed dragon. Yeah, I, I mean, like, really good stuff with that. But, yeah, anyway. So, on the cold open, cool. Maybe fourth, I'm guessing, because I don't know what else is out there, and I can't think of the other one. So, I'm, I'm leaving a spot for something else to sneak in on. Maybe Just revise in case. That later. Just in case. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of right there, that three, four, probably fourth. I mean, I, I, again, it's... it. It kind of, I'd have to watch them all together and go through them, uh, but I obviously Blood Snow right is I think mm. it's hard for that not. That's to been the unanimous, end. by the way. Yeah. Everybody we've talked to, in, in, my son is a, a Wheel of Time nerd too. Everybody a, a, agrees that Blood Snow was by far the greatest yeah. of the cold the white, opens. It was white awesome. White cloaks anyway. was great. Uh, this one, yeah, it's kind of it's in the top of mine. You know what I mean? It's not close to the bottom of the list. Uh, mostly, I think because it's. It's one of these where, from a book perspective, when they adapted it, they gave us something that we had never seen, right? right? This, this particular thing does not happen in the books, <laughs> but it does a lot of heavy lifting to talk about, like, you see some stuff with Trollocs, like you talked about, like uh, some Trolloc on Trolloc action there, you know? You <laughs> see, dining. You see the Trolloc come... Yeah, you see the Trolloc come after Nynaeve, and you see... You learn about her resourcefulness, right? Like, she... This could have been a moment for most people where, you know, like my wife is always saying, like, if there's a zombie apocalypse, she's like, I'm out in the first wave. I'm out. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, strong like, ditto. So like, <laughs> but, like, Nynaeve is not out in the first zombie apocalypse wave. That's not Nynaeve. And so I think I I was like, this is who I expect Nynaeve to be if put in the situation that is what should have happened. Does that make sense? So like, I was like, hell yeah, you know, like this is, and, and it kind of not only resourcefulness, it brings to mind just how she feels about this place, her people, like that Trolloc was just in her way, right? Like she had yep. to take it out, but that isn't who she was going for, right? You see the first scene of the, of the episode, that's where she was, that's where she was headed. The Trolloc was in her way, you know? So, uh, again, Nynaeve does that's that's Nynaeve. You know, it's one of those. It, the Trolloc was an inconvenience, and and yeah, she had to work, and there were, you could see that she was a little bit, you know, uh, obviously running for her life, but only to get into a situation where she could take him out. So, uh, I, yeah, definitely one of my top top uh, starts to an episode in this season. I, I would agree. I put I put it somewhere around the third or fourth. Uh, best cold open in there, right around there, because Blood Snow, obviously, and then the uh, one or two others that are really good. I like the Logan one. Um, mm. But the one of the things I liked about this cold open with Nynaeve is uh, it shows how what a badass she is, which was not evident in the first episode uh, or even the second episode, really, because she was gone for most of it. Um, and uh, uh, it, it really shows that she's powerful, that she's serious that she really cares about uh helping her people um now but the, what, the other thing i like about it is they changed something in the first episode that, that, that they changed from the books and that is that nanim gets dragged off by the hair uh by a trollic 
into the woods. And that doesn't happen in the books. Um, and the first time you, you, you watched that first episode, I was like, wait, that doesn't happen. What are you doing that for? Why did you make that change? Um, and there's a bunch of reasons why they made the change. One of them is that everybody leaves during the day and not in the middle of the, they don't sneak away in the middle of the night like they do in the books. They lead, they lead during the day and everybody kind of waves at them as they leave town. And if Nynaeve were there, she would have stopped it or she would have gone with them. So they wrote in this thing where she gets dragged off so that she can't be there to stop them from mm. leaving. Um, and so uh, you have that whole second episode, she's not there. She comes in at the end and with the, with the knife and she looks terrified and she looks angry and she has this wide range of emotions on her face and then you're like wait what just happened you got dragged off and this cold open answers that question it answers why she got dragged off in the first place and answers where she was for the whole second episode and it answers why she was angry and pissed off and scared all at the same time when she holds that knife to land's head at the end of the second episode so i think you know like matt said that cold open does a lot of really heavy lifting there and it's one of one of the reasons why it's so powerful and I will say, sorry, sorry, it's guys, because um, no, no, Brian, correct me, because I know, Matt, when you went to London for the premiere, you only saw the first two episodes, right? So you were waiting first with two. everyone yep. for November 19th, or I guess the 18th, um, uh, to see what happened. And I'm wondering, because of that, and yep. I think, Brian, you had gone to the premiere in L.A. too, right? So you had only, ago, you've yeah. seen... You saw the first two as well there. Correct. And so like waiting then for like the the mass release, you guys, I, I'm wondering basically if this hit a little bit different than it would have for myself um, and my dad, because I just got to binge all three episodes in a row, see what happened. There was no like suspenseful buildup, whereas you guys had a couple days, weeks to ruminate about how episode yeah. three yeah, was going to go down. I would say that seeing this kind of uh seeing seeing three in this moment for me i really was curious um kind of what this final uh you know this uh, what they what they put out here for episode three would actually bring to us um so yeah but i think you know my experience was going to be was different than the one you know my, my experience was different but i think uh three was the episode that made me feel like they could they could pull this off if that makes sense but yeah, I think uh, – uh, I don't know that it really made much material difference of how we got to episode three because if this makes sense, uh, this to me was a clever – the way they started off was a clever adaptation and it it really – I I was had some concerns with episode one of like wh why do this this way? But episode one ended in like mm -hmm. the last 20 minutes. I, I actually loved the last 20 minutes of episode one. And then episode two, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I like – all of the choices here, but you split everybody up. Cool. Okay. So now what are you going to do? And so this idea of bringing Nynaeve in this way, I was like, this is actually, a, I like this adaptation. So I think I finally arrived at a point on episode three where I was like, uh, yes, I, I like the direction of whoever thought to themselves, let's adapt this material, but keep the characters and the core stories uh, in a way that we can recognize them. And I, I felt like that so much more in episode three than I did in two than I did in one, if that makes sense. It was kind of building – I was building some trust in their ability to to adapt the material but still yeah. kind of give me some core characterizations that I expected. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I uh, I think I had four days from the premiere to the uh, the actual drop of the first three episodes. And I wasn't sure I liked it very much 
from the first two episodes. There were a lot of changes and I was really struggling mm -hmm. with them. And episode three in general, not just the cold open, but like the rest of the stuff that we'll talk about really built that trust for me. And that was when I was like, okay, Ashley, I'm on board. I give you, I, I trust you to lead us to the story that we want to hear, that we want to see. Um, and so this was a really good start in that direction. And I love the Trolloc fight. I love the the pool. Like, what's the point of the pool? I don't care. There was a Trolloc fight in it. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. That, if that's the whole I'm, point, Like, it made me I'll comfortable. It, I'm like, you know? fine. You know what? You cut Egwene bursting out of the pool. I don't even care. We got to see Nynaeve, like, we got to kill see a, a Trolloc. Yeah. And, and I did notice the dragon fang thing. I was like, ooh, 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 dragon fang, dragon fang. <laughs> Every um, time it comes up in like the little ways, I'm like, oh, it's yeah. happening. Yeah, it's a little, it was a little ham-handed, a little bit over the top, but um, but I loved it anyway. Yeah, just like that little bit of camp that I, yeah. I mean, like you just see enough. it with the sheep, like the bloody sheep in the first episode. Yeah. I'm like, this is such a huge like wink, wink, wink. Yeah. but <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> just hand me the camp. Um, so we can go into, there's kind of like the three storylines that will follow you. Tell me what you want to talk to first uh, or talk about first. I don't think it's a surprise what I would like to get over with quickly. <laughs> but uh, There's the Perrin and Egwene stuff in the Caroline grass. Matt and Rand go to Breen's spring. And then um, Nynaeve, Lan, and Moraine and the healing journey as they make their way to the Aes Sedai camp. What would you like to start with as we dive into? Lan... Let's do the land that's, of ninety. All right, since it kind of flows jump, in jump there, right and that's it, so. Um, yeah. So episode three, we have the cold open, then the credits, and then the episode both opens and closes with Nynaeve, Lan, and Moraine. And uh, if you've listened to the Rings of Power episodes, I love an episode that opens and closes with the same characters. It just makes it feel like a very nice, well-told story in that episode. So it shouldn't be a surprise that that's. Um, you know, how an episode with Wayne Yip goes. Uh, but we open with them. Um, you know, Nynaeve tries to kill Lan. He's adorably flummoxed and said, oh, you actually <laughs> yeah. tried to kill me. Well done. Concussion. And knocks her out. Um, she wakes up. She's tied to a tree. They make a deal. We have, like, the writers in episode three gave us some real bangers the lines that i found myself writing down um naive like zoe robbins delivery of it's not a demand it's a threat is stands out to me as a highlight of the season overall i just it's so perfectly in character it's not from the books but it feels like naive um as uh, as naive and lan are you know going around doing their healing thing um I'm going to talk about this because we're talking about basically we, we can talk about eye of the world and we can talk about season okay. one as a whole. Um, Sorry. Yeah. We, I, you, I know, I know. Set it. Um, it's easy for me. That is my world. That's all I know. I know TV show in the first book. Uh, Spoilers. You're, you're about to find them. Um, Leon says to Nynaeve, cause she said, you, you know, you can ask, you can ask a question. You don't just have to stand there. And he says, you said you tracked me all the way from the two rivers to Shadar Logoth. So this is a question that we get in episode three, which is how did Nynaeve track Lan? And it is a question <laughs> that this season does not really answer, I think, to anyone's satisfaction. Um, she just says, you can ask me. I never said I'd answer. 
And that's it. And then in episode eight, she tells Lan, it wasn't you I tracked, it was Moraine. She has a tell. And they never expanded on that either. So at WatCon, I had the privilege of talking about five minutes in heaven for episode seven and eight, which is what would you add five minutes to the episode? You can't take anything away. And effectively, we came up with uh, the theory that Moraine likes asparagus and her urine smells like <laughs> asparagus. And that is how Nynaeve was able Correct. to track her because nothing else I saw makes sense. Script. Yeah. That, was, that was there. Oh, my God. Uh, with the cut, she might have had an, uh, an aroma of, of rotting flesh, right? Because the uh, trollic poison was eating into her. So I'm sure she had a certain aroma that she was oozing. Nynaeve, yeah, Nynaeve picked up on that from the trollic she killed. And Nynaeve the Bloodhound. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's one of the things that on rewatch it really stands out to me, and I'm like, uh, nope, still doesn't make sense. Still can't rationalize it. Wonder if there is a different plan with this. Don't know, but here we are. But basically, great chemistry between Nynaeve and Lan. We get the beautiful moment of. Um, Moraine muttering Suan under her breath. Of course, if you're a never reader and are just watching the show for the first time and don't have subtitles on, you're going to miss that. And even if you do have I subtitles, had subtitles on, on, I still missed it. I don't know. I mean, you've mentioned it a few times. It means nothing to me. The the one thing I'll say about that whole scene with her and Lan that's is is you know when she talks about the relationship with the warder and the thing that you can feel what she's feeling, and she says this is going to hurt, and then she cracks the thing, and you can actually hear the the pus crack and the poison come to the surface. That was. I've watched it a few times. I've actually replayed that scene a few times just because it's so disgusting. And it's like, uh, every time it's, it's like incredible. But that, that was, uh, that was really good. And I'm sure it is a naive fan because my lovely daughter Grendel is, um, a huge fan of naive, not her favorite character, maybe her second favorite. You're character. learning. I'm learning. Um, (laughs) Is that like that really, you learn, I've said it a few times, the writers are so good that you learn a whole bunch in a short amount of time about each character. So, I mean, you just pick up uh, her awareness, her, um, her, even though she's never been outside, I guess she's been outside of her town, but not as much, her worldliness and, and her ability to understand what other people have, right? And she obviously has those feelings and stuff for, other senses, which you you kind of get a sense of in that scene, which I thought was really well done and just casually laid up on the, on the uh, new viewers like me, right? So I just thought that scene with her and Lamb was phenomenal. My favorite. So when you're at the end, Grendel's going to ask about uh, your rose and your thorn. My rose was that scene where you see Nynaeve tied to the tree and gagged. I just thought the look on her eyes and the frustration and the anger in her eyes was just so classic. I just thought that is that is wonderful. Oh my gosh, Nynaeve being gagged as a book fan. <laughs> just like you almost, this is what happens. You almost step away from, you step away from the screen. You're like, I know how Matt and Random Perrin would think to themselves if they saw somebody at Gag Nynaeve and they'd be like, I am scared in this moment. Yes. <laughs> so like, yeah. I'm going to step away. I don't want to be – and like, you're just like, Lan, you're in trouble, man. Oh, you're buddy. in trouble. Uh, you don't know. So, you just uh, don't know. No, that I, that, that, that first start – I want to throw this out there. I can't remember if I've ever made this comment before. Uh, I had 
I had the pleasure to interview Zoe, mm. and that was one of the questions I asked was, do you think Nynaeve actually – you know, he says, you tried to kill me. And I said – because I don't think they included this question in when they did the after show thing. Uh, so I said to her, I said, do, do you think uh, – you know, I, do you think she was actually trying to kill him? And I, and I swear, if I have to go back, I, I thought uh, she, Zoe was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and I was like, intense. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah she does uh, nothing half-assed. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was... Good casting. Because, you know, some people doing. were like, no, she was she was just, you know, maybe she was just kind of teasing, you know, kind of playing at it. And uh, so, no, no, it, was, it wasn't playing at it, as Lan explained. <laughs> you actually tried to do <laughs> or, this or, thing. Or whispers. <laughs> uh, yeah, no... That idea of, again, this is another part. This entire episode is, the reason why I love it is, I think they are very, very well done adaptation choices for what they decided to do. Okay, uh, Moraine, you're not going to have her go away just kind of leading the charge everywhere and leave Nynaeve as kind of a bit character where you're just like, yeah, 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 whatever, Nynaeve. I'm Moraine. I'm going to rule this next three episodes. You injure her. You make her less, you know, uh, able to speak and less able to do anything. And all of a sudden, you raise the profile of Lan and Nynaeve. You give them actual material to interact with. Because otherwise, if Moraine is talking and such, Lan's not having opportunities to just chat it up with you get Nynaeve. one moment with so horses just... in a camp and it's hot and <laughs> yeah, heavy <exactly. laughs> and then you're in the blight <laughs> yeah exactly i mean there's not there's not that and so this is a great these are these are great choices if to to give moments to let us understand who Nynaeve is who lan is what this what this is happening here and and also kind of speaking to the, what their skill sets are, right? Uh, you know, it's like who is Nynaeve? Like, okay, so she has great tracking abilities, and she is, you know, dogged, if you will, right? She does not let anyone, including a warder, including who we all know Land to be, get in her way. And that just again, that was cleverly done in in this single episode. You walk away really feeling like you have an idea of who this person is. So I love these, I love this, this back and forth between the two of them. I, I will say I felt like it went on a little bit too long in this episode, as in it was like, okay, so how are we going to heal her? And it was like, we're going to go find some stuff and try it out. And we're going to go find some other stuff and try it out. But it's, we're going to see land those, like, like gallop and like stand you know, I mean, majestically what, the, the, on a the cliff. The book does this. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know the book does it right. You're like, we're going to go find people and they're, they, Oh, where are they at? Oh, we're going to go North now. Oh, okay. Where we're going to go East. You know, it's the book kind of belabors the point of Moraine finding everybody. Uh, but uh, it was one of those kind of where I was like, okay, I got to a point where I was like, Let's get let's get her healed. But it was only a single episode. That didn't that didn't like take away too much. I just this again this adaptation point between Lan and Nynaeve and Moraine. Even though Moraine is like injured and not sp- saying much, the th- the thing going on between all three of them just really cleverly done. Yeah, totally agree. They did the little Tolkien reference too, right? So in Tolkien, a lot of the stuff with the king is going to find the plants of healing. And there was a great scene where Nynaeve cuts the flower. Mm off the tree, which was an homage back to Peter Jackson and the Lord of the Rings, where uh, Aragorn cuts the uh, king's foil out of the ground, almost the exact same motion where she cleverly did that. So I, 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 in that little tip that Jordan often does to 
uh, Tolkien, I thought they did to Jackson because they did exactly the same way. Just that same trust on the healer and the plants and the importance of the foliage and all yeah, that sort of stuff. I, I do agree that they probably could have cut some of the moments. Uh, I loved the Mashiara playing in the background um, by Lauren Balfi. Uh, yeah. So having that play... Um, but yeah, it kind of seems like it, this and even some of the Perrin and Egwene things, I was like, okay, like, I think we all know what's coming. We can probably speed this up. Um, but it was also nice, especially in hindsight, just to kind of sit with those characters for a minute and just like live in the world. Um, so it was like on rewatches when I'm not like wondering what's going to be happening next in the season. I enjoy these moments of quiet much more. <laughs> than I did on uh, on first watch yeah. and before the season had finished. Um, and of course, this episode ends with them walking down the road. We see that red Aja sister that was in the first episode. It's Moraine Sedai, Leandrin Sedai, the bare bones of introduction. And already we're seeing the tension. We see the colors, you know, the green eyes Sedai, um, the red, the blue of Moraine. So I don't know... Um, Graham, I'm going to put this to you. If as a watcher, when you're seeing this for the first time, having not read the books, if you're picking up on this color palette and the deliberate choices um, that was being made on on screen. Well, again, just with the, the the one book read, I wasn't familiar with the the red and the green and the blue. I, it, watching it again, though, seeing the green, I think the green was up on a cliff. Uh, sort of in the background and of course you see Leandrin coming out and you recognize Leandrin from episode one and that wonderful opening with the the uh, other uh, dragon candidate right where she does her little thing so you know that she's powerful you know that she can be evil uh, that she's not as I would say as a first-time watcher, you're thinking Moraine is relatively balanced in power and, and majesty, but you're thinking Leandrin's over the edge, right? Like she's she's taking the power. It's more important to her, and you know that she doesn't like men real well. Um, so it, like you know that they're equivalent, but you are afraid of Leandrin, I guess is the way I'd put it, where she makes you nervous because you don't know what the hell she's going to do and who she's going to try to uh, lash out against. So uh, I did notice green. I, obviously, Leandra, you see, and then Moraine and blue. So I, a little bit of familiarity with the Sedai houses, not all of the colors and all the other stuff. But uh, yeah, I was I was aware of it, I guess. Is the, yeah, the it was a pretty it. big slap in the face, I thought, and a, a nice way to do it that wasn't just like, zooming in on the rings repeatedly in the stone. So I liked that they yeah. typically dress in their colors in the show. Um, and uh, we hear that a false dragon's been captured and the episode closes on Alvaro Morte's face. You get the lift, yeah, uh, up to his face. And again, one of those great things. I've become a real big fan of Mr. Yip on his uh, directing capability after Rings of Power. I was yeah. really impressed. Uh, by so Brian... Thoughts on chemistry between Nynaeve and Lan and choosing to end the episode on Loghain without any explanation and making us wait a week mm. until we get his cold open. Uh, I mean, I love the Lan and Nynaeve stuff. I think the ending was really powerful um, in a couple of ways. Like you said, it, it set up the tension really quickly. Like you see, um, like I don't know if I were a first time watcher, if I would have necessarily picked up on Leandrin and Moraine being 
the same organization, like members of the same organization uh, or having the same magic powers. Uh, but then when you see them face to face and they're like, sister, sister, and like, oh, they're, <laughs> they know each other. And one of them is clearly kind of bad. And the other one is uh, helping our character, our, our protagonist. So um, we naturally feel that tension there. I thought that was really smart. And then, of course, uh, them saying we captured the dragon uh, and the third episode is, you're like okay well that's an interesting thing to happen in the third episode uh, we still got six uh, five more to go uh, <laughs> where are you going with this I think it's a good place for people who don't really know the whole story um, to to have in in the series on, or in the episode on a little bit of a, a cliffhanger and make mm-hmm. you tune in next week so the other thing I'd say about the colors is that again, I'm, so you, what you guys may not know is I'm a big Tolkien reader. I've read Lord of the Rings yep. probably as many times as you guys run uh, the wheel. Uh, so you're familiar with the color of wizards. So when you see the Aes Sedai and you know that they have power, you, you kind of look for colors. But yep. so that that would be the only reason why I clued into multiple types of color cool. and stuff. I didn't realize through. that. I, I don't know Tolkien that well oh. to know that. So and that you uh, dove into really the wheel. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a separate conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to point out one thing I did notice here uh, that I hadn't really paid, paid, attention to, paid attention to this time until I just, you were reminding us at the end. It's the look on Nynaeve's face, right? She's accomplished that she's gotten to this point. She's saved this person. She's she's kind of riding high a bit, which Nynaeve can do when she's like, <laughs> I'm on my mission. I'm on my mission and it's going well. And here she is. She kind of like, they run into these people and there's this moment where I think she realizes, well, this is, these are more people. <laughs> these are more Aes Sedai. This, I am now low person on the totem pole again, right? Like, I, I'm like, I'm, 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 or I, yeah, whatever the, whatever the phrasing is, like, I'm coming in and now I'm at the bottom uh, and I have to kind of figure out who all these people are. I kind of thought I had figured everything out and now you've, and I've entered a new area of like concern. I have to, I have to understand how to navigate this. And so she, there was a confidence and it's not that she lacked the confidence. There was a kind of a concern in her mind of, okay. Now, who are all these people? <laughs> and then what do I have to do to figure out how to navigate this situation to get to my people, right? She was just recalculating in that last moment of this of the episode, mm. which I really yeah. liked. Oh, no, that's such a good point. Because, yeah, she is someone who is constantly worried. You know, her, her first question is always, where are they? How are we getting to them? You know, I'm not going to save Moraine unless you can guarantee me that we are getting to my people and I'll protect them. She gets the uh, leg up on land for that. She's saving Moraine for a purpose. She has all of her her plan figured out. And then, yeah, new wrinkle in it. And she, I am really interested to take that perspective into episode four, because she does sit and observe quite a bit in mm-hmm. episode four. Yeah. How does she get, how does she use these people? How does she get through them? How does, how are they instrumental to her getting to the ultimate goal? And that's where you, in my head now I'm seeing that, in her, I'm seeing that, as the camera kind of pans to her face now, uh, more so than yeah. I had before. Oh, no, that's such such a good point. Um, so from the little love triangle of Nan, <laughs> Nynaeve, Lan, and Moraine, let's move to um, a different kind of love triangle with Perrin and Egwene. And the wolves. In the Caroline grass. <laughs> and the wolves. Um 
I'm trying to bring the uh, triangle in, sorry. Well, the triangle is what was ultimately revealed at the end, and maybe what is alluded to with Layla's uh, scene here in the in the dream sequence. Um, but with Perrin and Egwene, this episode, they're in the Caroline grass, they're running, um, you know, the wolves at, are chasing them at one point. Egwene is like, did they do this? Did like, was this intentional? Did they steer us towards these wagon tracks that are heading east in the same direction that we want to go to Tarvalon? How curious. Um, some cute moments and cuddles with Perrin and Egwene. Perrin has a dream with um, good old ember eyes kind of flashing in and out. He goes down to the forge. He sees Layla. Uh, there's a wolf tearing out her innards. Layla is dead, but then her eyes open and she looks at him and she says, I know. And he wakes up. Um, they do uh, eventually run into Tuatha'an, the traveling people. Uh, really, really excellent character moment when Egwene is obviously able to recite exactly what she needs to say back to the Tuatha'an people, um, which is, you know, your welcome warms our spirit as your fire warms the flesh, but we do not know the song. Uh, and Perrin takes away from that uh we don't know the song <laughs> yeah. so just great great little interaction between them and then we finish um their moment with them stuffing their face full of food and having some colorful blankets thrown on so <laughs> quick scenes with Farron and Egwene, um but the quick scenes that we do get i think are pretty filled with character building um and in hindsight understanding what happens in episode seven and eight um, I'm now wondering on this rewatch if when Layla says, I know, if it means I know that you love Egwene and that you're feeling guilty about that. Um, I hope it isn't that. Otherwise, I don't really know what she knows. Thoughts, gentlemen? I have no clue. So I'm actually waiting for the uh, the Wizards of the Wheel to talk on this one because I I, I was puzzled when she said that, what, what the heck she meant other than, yeah, okay, did does she know that he loves Egwene? But I don't think that's his major a plot point, right? I at least it doesn't feel like it should be, but that's okay. So, gentlemen, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Any thoughts on what you what you think they meant? By uh, Matt, you want to go first? Okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, it, <laughs> I don't want it to be what you just said. I know. Delusions. I, so, hate, I, like, gonna, I hate gonna, it so much. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with this, which is he's having this dream. Right, that's reminding him of what he's done. And this entire first kind of arc for Perrin is trying to come to grips with the fact that he killed his wife and his relationship now with his ability to defend his friends, defend himself, violence in general. Like, he's out in the world, getting out of the, you know, I, take away the whole, uh, um, fridging uh, part of this conversation because that's a whole other conversation but he's leaving this village was easier for him because it distances him from that moment but here is this he's he, he's not even alone in his dreams he can't get any rest because here is his wife in his dream saying I know I will always know that you murdered me right other people don't know yet but I know I know what happened and he his dream, and that's the, that's the kind of uh, the the evil man and the dream uh, side of this, right? Is influencing this idea, pushing on Perrin's guilt that he feels, 
So that I take it more as this acknowledgement in the dream of this person that he killed and loved knows and is, and is reminding him that she knows what happened. And it's this kind of persistent guilt that he's feeling. So that's how I, I would interpret the I know. I much prefer that interpretation. And that was what I had before I saw episode seven and eight. <laughs> and then when that came up, it's just been like that little beating thought in the back of your head. Like, I'm like, turn it off. Like, turn that element off the stove. I don't want to dwell on it. I don't want to think about it. But it's there yeah. and it's on fire and I hate it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that that was my actual first interpretation when she said I know it was like it was it wasn't anything about Egwene. It was more like I I know that you killed me. Um and mm. I'm the only person who knows. Like you haven't told anyone else. Killed me and my child. That from our previous thing. I think I think she was still pregnant when uh, mm -hmm. his axe went Very into well. her womb. But that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think the whole Layla thing was potentially a miscalculation on the writer's part because um, I see what they were going for. I actually like the idea, but I think the execution was a little flawed. So what I think they were going for was the fact that Perrin kills Layla in the first episode with the axe and then is pretty much forced to carry the axe for a long time. That is a much stronger reason for him to hate the axe than what we get in the books. And... Uh, and so that that's the beginning of his struggle with the axe that, you know, uh, gets resolved later on in the books. And, and hopefully they bring that to the forefront in future seasons where he's he um, we talked about he met the Tinkers, he met the Tuathan um, and they're pacifists. And he kind of says, wait, wouldn't you defend yourself? And they say no. Uh, and he doesn't understand that. And I think <clears throat> a lot of his character growth in the books is is this idea of like actually while I would defend myself peace is a better better way to deal with the world you know and so I think this is the beginning of that and the the dream with Layla um is is I think reminding him oh remember the axe like you killed me this is bad you need to deal with this and um I, I like I like that part. I also like the fact that the wolf was eating her. That fed created some very interesting theories about Layla being a dark friend. Um, that you know that the Matt and I love the theories, and like that exploded after that episode came out. People were like, yeah. oh my gosh, what if this happened? What if that happened? And, and so I really liked that moment. Why was the wolf there? Uh, why why is that part of the dream? And and knowing what we know in the books about dreams and wolves. Um, was that intentional? Was that, uh, or, or, or what? You know, so I think there's some really interesting questions to answer there um, that they didn't really go into too much. And I think if you're just a first time watcher, you'd be like, oh, weird dream. Okay. Um, <laughs> and well, you would think that Perrin is the wolf and the wolf is eating his wife, is killing her yeah, again. That's that, a great interpretation. That's what's through my mind. But yeah. That's... Which is, uh, it, this is a, this is, goes to that point that clever adaptation, I think, bringing this kind of dream sequence in tying the if this makes sense uh the aspect of the stream doesn't have to be this imaginary thing that did not happen they're able to pull from something that we know happened that would create this kind of conflict and this anxiety mm -hmm. and this horror element into kind of the right. show where it doesn't have to be like he just has a bad dream no he has a dream of a thing that we know happened that was really bad which is a much more impactful kind of experience than you're just like 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 Brian said it's still it's right. just being like we're all watching going that was a weird dream you know instead it's like no there's meaning here there's purpose and there's so many elements to that dream again episode 3 
I, I, I would watch it and be like, okay, they're, they're doing things here that I really appreciate. I, I will say this. Perrin and Egwene is no more interesting <laughs> in the show Thank you. than it is in the books. Yeah. Um, we finally agree on one it's thing, Perrin. It's, it, it, it's, it's just, it's like they didn't, I didn't feel, and maybe that's just the aspect of it. Like they're the, they're the most boring split of the, of, of the three. Now, that being said, there is an aspect in the book that does kind of add mm. an element that we don't get here, right? I know. Which is uh, Elias. We don't get Elias. We don't get that chase of the, the ravens. Yeah, ravens, the ravens uh, chasing the get, fox and then them. And, or, or the integration yeah, we don't, with the we wolves, don't get that right? Like you don't get Perrin thinking, right. like his mind meld. Yep. I'm not sure what you call it. The mind meld with yeah. the wolves. Yeah, so uh, we, 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 they're, they're giving uh, us a little tiny bit, uh, like... Yeah. But not like in episode two, we kind of start to yeah. get this, the wolf comes up and like licks his leg, you know. Makes him very clean. Um, so we, yeah, we we get like they're hinting things, but the book goes further because we get Elias. Now we know. Is it okay to bring up season two news? Yeah, we can talk. Like we can definitely talk to season two okay. news. Is that okay? Okay, we we know Elias will be in season two. So because of that, like they have a plan. Not knowing that when I was watching the season, I was like, oh, man, it, like, I, I really love this episode, but Elias in this episode, yeah, Elias in this episode would have made this the absolute best episode, you know, like meeting Elias as they're kind of camping out and then going right into meeting the Tuathon, I, I, I struggle and, and, and we won't know until season two to understand where they were trying to go. I don't think it would have been too much. We meet Tom. We're introduced to yeah. this other character. Well, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you because they okay. do a they do a really good job, I think, of introducing concepts and then punting them to future seasons. So mm. we meet Tom in this episode, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and then we don't really see him again. Uh, we meet sure. Swan uh, in episode four, five, and you, and then we don't really see her again. Uh, and they're, they they do a good job of introducing a concept. Perrin plus wolves equals something. We'll tell you next season, and then yeah. and then they don't really bring it up again for the rest of the 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 season. And so um, I I do think that introducing this concept of Perrin having that mind meld with the wolves, and then having that need to be relevant in this season would have been too much given everything else that was happening. So I think they did, made the decision to punt it. Um, now, like you said, like first time watching it you don't know it's not going to come back up in the season so you're like oh my god how can you like not have elias because wolves do stuff in this book yeah. and then yeah, and then yeah. they don't do it for the rest of the season and you're like oh okay i see why they didn't spend more time on it because it doesn't really become that relevant yeah. yet and i think it, with respect to this episode having two mentor old men <laughs> come in at the same time like tom sure. coming in yeah, with, with matt and having like the great moments that we'll talk about and then elias coming yes. in with Perrin. like i think i don't know how well that would have played out on screen and it might have detracted a little bit from like the impact of tom um but i do one thing i missed from the Perrin and Egwene because i i mean shocker of all shockers it's uh, my least favorite plot of this episode um the one thing i wish in my head that the show had done is that instead of fridging Layla, I wish that we got the same impact of parents' relationship with violence from having him kill the two white cloaks. 
Mm. That being said, I don't know how they would have been able to fit that in in 57 minutes. And I just don't think they had the well, screen time for it. He beat the crap out of the Trolloc on the episode one, right? Like, so he, he literally went crazed and was like swinging away. So I think they tried to build that violence in that very first episode when you see Perrin. They, yeah, they definitely did. Um, I just, for me, it would have hit harder and I would have liked it more if instead of killing his wife, we see that berserk rage taken out on the white cloaks. Um, I think that would have fixed in my head parents plot for this like still have that relationship with violence but after listening um to Allie from wheel talks kind of talk about the fridging of layla and why it was so important and how you explain that relationship and the ongoing um struggle that he has with it i i mean i'm not i'm not a screenwriter um i don't think it probably would have had the same impact um although i think it definitely would have escalated uh the the Perrin and Egwene scenes in this episode, probably for the better. But, you know, it's okay. We got to see them running through some beautiful landscapes. Yes. <laughs> well, beautiful landscapes in the background. I mean, basically, they were running through a field of grass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and really, really skimpy woods. I didn't, I, that's the one thing I didn't understand about that chase where you, you've got the wolves and they kind of take them back to the plains. I'm like, I think, do you think they were trying to take us here? Well, that's actually where you started. So I'm not actually sure what the hell happened with that little deviation <laughs> that took you back, and then maybe a different part of the plane where you could find the tracks. Maybe I, that's. I, I almost feel like but. there was. A, I would much yeah, rather have seen much more of the wolves than heard of the wolves kind of tracking, like as in really felt their presence, kind of right. forcing them a certain way versus like <laughs> they're going to eat us. You know what I mean? Like I felt like a little bit. They felt too much like that they're going to eat us side of it versus. Like always keeping their distance, but but getting in their way, like just them stopping and seeing the wolves. Like, <laughs> nope, can't go this way. Yeah. Nope, can't go that way. And it's like the only way we can go is this way. And like they start walking, and the wolves start following them. Like, I, I just feel like a, I think what they tried to do did not work for me for these two of of the entire episode. This was the weakest part of the episode, but again, the weakest part in my mind of the book, this Perrin and Egwene side, uh, until, you know, you have kind of finally the White Cloaks catch them, and then that does kind of amp things up a bit So in the book. so well, I think part um, of the problem is uh, they uh, cut the most interesting parts of the Perrin and Egwene yeah. section of the books, which was the Elias ending mm -hmm. uh, a little bit longer with the Tinkers. Um, they, they amped up the wolf chase, which was not yeah. the best part of the book. <laughs> yeah, and, sorry, and maybe that was just because the, the White Cloak thing comes so much later, Yeah, and it's, like, disconnected from yeah. this a bit, like, that that's the part that it just takes a long time, and that's the that's the Egwene parent part, it just takes a long time, and that's, I felt that, but again, I, having read the books, it was a different experience. I'm like, wait, where is this? Where is this? Why isn't this happening? Uh, later on, you obviously see that you get portion of these things and then you're just missing out on the Elias section so um, yeah. yeah no I, I agree and I think the only way I can rationalize like the wolves kind of howling and like oh they're gonna eat us is like maybe trying to give a little bit of a wink and an homage to the book readers a little easter egg and be like it's not ravens it's wolves but like ooh scary <laughs> they're also not that scary compared to Trollocs you know, you're sitting there like, okay, I could see you running from Trollocs, but running from wolves, bro? Like, you guys are farmers. Especially because one just licked you. Yeah. 
<laughs> like you live in a you, you live in a mountain clean. town, like near the valley with rivers and like there's wolves all over the place. You, all over. Like what are you what are you scared of? How, how did Danny put it? Like you got bit by a zombie and a wolf licked you up. I mean that's you know that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perrin in the zombie apocalypse is uh, not not long to survive. <laughs> the guy who gets bit first. Um, all right, so Perrin and Egwene, I mean, not really much to say about them. Lovely to meet uh, Illa and Rain, and I know with Maria Doyle Kennedy when she was cast, and this was like part of the buildup when MDK was cast, and we didn't know the months of speculation as to who she was playing. Um, like still like between that and Steve, I think I had the most fun trying to guess uh, who they were playing. Uh, but M- MDK as Illa, I remember when that was revealed and then even seeing her on screen in episode three, I was like, this is an interesting choice for like a pretty heavy hitter actor. Um, and and that ended up paying off for me in episode four. So it was like really nice now having seen the season and knowing what Illa does and, um, you know, the showdown between her and Valda in episode five. Really nice to just get this very light introduction to her in episode three, where you see a little bit and a little bit of her sternness, um, as well as her kindness. Uh, Who's the young guy? Because he comes across as pretty smarmy as the, uh, one of the travelers. I don't know these characters Arab. very well, but he comes across really <laughs> Arab, very smarmy. I mean, I'm sure the actor did a great job, but it was like, I feel like I need a shower after leading that guy talk because he was just, he was just too slick. Right? Yeah. And, and it, again, one so of those well. parts I didn't yeah. recognize in the book. I, li- I liked so. their version of Aram. Yeah. I like, I, like I, it hit well for me. Um, Later on, I mean, obviously, um, like both both but, Aram is kind of a sociopath, and uh, <laughs> show Aram was just like a little bit more like uh, smarmy, smarmy. Uh, I think psychopath. It's like it's just a little bit more he's, like well, he's, he's also the, the same actor from Peaky Blinders. Um, Ooh, and good, I love Peaky Blinders. I saw saw the guy that played Isaiah Isaiah in Peaky Blinders. I'm like, oh my god, that's him. Um, yeah. And so I was just in my head, Aram's just a Peaky Blinder. <laughs> A hippie peaky blunder. So um, I really enjoyed that, his, him showing up in there. But it, it it's, it's a different portrayal of Aram. And I think you can see, um, or I can see that growing in future seasons into something very interesting. Okay, so he comes back. Yeah, it, there you go. Maybe, Didn't know. maybe. There, there was something that they took away. Uh, maybe in the book, he kind of came across more petulant to me. Like he was just kind of whiny that that's my that's my memory of him is like whiny and kind of well it was like a high school kind of kid who gets the girl thing you know like the way he would look at Perrin about Egwene and it just seemed this one seemed a little bit more sophisticated might be the wrong word but just um, in the books he's very uh um like well why why do I have to be a pacifist why can't I be you know, go, you know, whatever. Yeah. And and he looks up to Perrin and, and, and has a crush on a Gwen, um, during the, while well, they're in the, the tinker circle. And then, uh, and then, you know, later on he, he changes into a more, uh, kind of fervent, crazy character. But the, the, in the show, they don't really get that. Like you just get that sophisticated, like smarminess of like, yeah, you're with us now. What are you going to yeah. do? And that's like, 
Who and but like I I liked yeah. like when he first came on screen. I mean, one I love the actor, so that helped. But when he came on screen, and then we see him like be a yeah, little bit great. tongue in cheek, a little bit like when he like fed the lines to Egwene, and he's like, yeah, like these guys don't get it. But like obviously, you have never encountered Tuatha on before. So here is what you say. Now say it back to me. Um, that little interplay between him, Perrin, and Egwene, I really loved, uh, and I am. I'm finding myself liking characters in the show that I never liked in the books, and I well, am excited the for it. Do end up meeting or get in, have interactions much uh, wider, broad, like a broader group of people than Egwene and Perrin would have, right? So I like how he came across more like he was still a young person, but sophisticated in ways that they weren't yes. yet, mm. while still kind of still naive a bit about the world itself and wanting to kind of experience it, but he knew more than they did. And I like that. That's how it came across. Mm-hmm. Like he was kind of explaining the little bit of the world to, to Egwene in ways or bringing them into kind of this, like, Hey, let me introduce you. You guys are clearly <laughs> <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> with traveling, but guess what? I'm not. Cause this is my life. And, and wanted to bring some comfort to them, you know, uh, saw some, obviously saw somebody in Egwene that he was interested in and, you know, saw someone in Perrin that he had to kind of bring along because they that came across so. pretty clearly, right? That he was pretty interested in Egwene yeah. and maybe Perrin, but that was different. <laughs> yeah. Why not well, both? <laughs> the way I, mean, I, I liked that I, it was, it felt, um, again, less juvenile mm-hmm. than the, than the Aram that I remember from the books. So. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, strong change, good change. I liked it. And uh, episode four with the Tuatha on, again, another change. We'll talk about it uh, next week. But uh, leading into that from this episode is the the changes that the writers and the show made to the Tuatha on is um, one of my favorite changes from the books. I really appreciated it. And the conversation um, that we get in episode four between Illa and Perrin um, is is a real standout moment to me and i just yeah i really really appreciated what the show was doing it makes a lot more sense to me i think the whole parent and Egwene, they did a really good job with a really boring plot line you know like yeah. it's, <laughs> it's it's handled as well as it could have been they, they could have kept it fairly succinct right like they kept it basically yeah. a couple of scenes for the yeah. most part yeah right? pretty quick pretty pretty transitions mm-hmm. um speaking of changes that i loved from uh, the that the show made to the books, um, Barside Chats has a great episode called "Who Who Wants to Be a Dark Friend?" Yeah, and it is an <laughs> unreal exploration as to why you would choose to be a dark friend. And I think the show actually answered that in a way that was believable and strong. And yes, I'm talking about our girl, Dana, that we will get to now um, because we have Matt and Rand. Uh, and Matt is just firing off like bangers after bangers in this episode. Whoever like was writing for Matt and for Rand, this is to me the strongest dialogue of uh, the season where we get to see Matt before he devolves fully into Dagger Matt, we see his quips. We see Rand firing back, um, you know, as they're hollering on the mountaintop after escaping Shadar Logoth. We get, you know, just walk to the White Tower. They say all roads lead there. That's not, That's how, not roads how roads work. work. <laughs> Brilliant. And then we get, you know, some more banter. Rand talking about the stories that the people will tell of them one day. 
Matt Cawthon, the man who once walked, well, a bit chilly. And then Matt, <laughs> under his breath, is like, oh, you're funny now. That's a new wrinkle. <laughs> Un- like, yeah. outstanding, outstanding. Um, they walk into the mining town. We see this dead Aiel. Um so that's kind of like a weird flex as a Walmart greeter. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you see Matt kind of eyeing up the gems uh, that is on this dead Aiel's body. Um, they roll into town, uh, Breen Spring. There is a quick nod to the Four Kings, I believe, uh, as they walk into the inn itself. Um, talking to Dana, they're like, we're super poor. We, can, we can't afford beer. They sit down. We get Western Tom singing. Best Tom. The man who can't forget. Western Tom. Yeehaw. Uh, We get. (laughs) And I know, uh, Graham, that the man who can't forget gives you vibes of a different. um, You you named the singer that it gave you that it reminded you of. Oh, Tom Waits. He gives me a Tom Waits kind of vibe for sure. I, I, I just want to let you know. So sitting beside me here, I'm trying to teach myself. Nice. Guitar at, at an age Retirement. Thing. I was watching his hands. He, yeah, right. He was actually genuine. Oh, but you probably know what you're doing. I don't yet. <laughs> uh, but I was watching his hands as I was watching it today. That's when I kind of drifted off which is why Aaron had to phone me to join the show. <laughs> uh, but he was actually playing the real chords. He he was like, I was watching going, Oh, I know that chord. That's a G. That's a C. That's a, it was actually pretty cool. So I don't know if the actor actually knows how to play guitar. He does. He, he does. Yeah. Cause he was, he was doing the deal. It was, it was great. It wasn't just, you know, doing general stuff. It was, he was doing solid chords, but I also like, he was like strumming once singing for two minutes, strumming changes, chords, strum. That's kind of the way I'm playing right now. So I, <laughs> I actually appreciate it quite a bit. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah, He had that Tom Waits voice. I'm going to sing like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about show Tom. Um, Western Tom, Brian, you like the change you like. So I screamed. Yeah? <laughs> I screamed when Tom showed up. I was so happy. Um, I've been waiting for it to happen. I was afraid after the first two episodes that we wouldn't see Tom at all because in the books, obviously, uh, in the books, he's, he's there from day one in, in two rivers. Uh, so to not see him in two rivers and not do, uh, um, you know, the story of, I'll tell you the story of, you know, uh, Elizabeth, the whatever. Uh, yeah, we didn't get that. And, and, and that was, mis- that was missing. But then when he showed up and it was Western Tom, I was like, you look awesome. Your guitar is awesome. I love the song. Uh, I want to wear that outfit to Jordan Con, and I, I really tried to make it happen. It didn't happen. But uh, love Western Tom. It was it was great. And 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 then there, there's some interactions between uh, Tom and Matt later that I thought were really strong choices. Um, we can talk more about when we get to them. But um, just the, just converting Tom from like a storyteller gleeman into almost like a western uh uh the man with the gun or you know like man with the rugged face uh that was really um an inspired choice i think makes him feel dangerous you know in a way that like oh there's a storyteller with a colorful cloak doesn't feel dangerous but tom in the show feels like somebody who's been around the block a time or two he's powerful he's strong he's like I know what I'm doing. No juggling, yeah. though. There was no juggling <laughs> in teaching the guys how to do the, the, the tricks. That, that was the part I was missing. Come on, Tom. You can do more than just play guitar badly. 
I mean, that's the big, that's the big uh, criticism, right? It's like, he's a glee man. He's supposed to tell stories and wow the whole audience. And he just played one song and then left. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if we got all of Tom that we got in the books, that would, that's a whole that's episode. It's a long, we need two more uh, episodes so. just to fill with, with Tom, Tom gaps, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. If, I'm trying to remember what's in book one so I don't go too far down the road on this character. Um, but we, we learn enough about Tom, I guess, in book one to for me to think about the way they portrayed him as it must have been purposeful <laughs> because of um, – sorry, I'm trying to remember exactly how – He gets exploded at the end of, <laughs> as they're trying to leave one town. He gets like gonna, blown yeah, up right. by so the – I will uh, – yeah. So, I'll, so yeah, I'll I don't know that he comes back. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I mean, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I kind of uh, figured sorry. he did because he was important. But it's like, <laughs> wow. what we get from Tom is like the interaction between him and Moraine in Emmons Field, where it's clear that they both know a little bit more about the other person than yeah. they're letting on. Um, you know, Tom, we learn has a history with Aes Sedai. We learn a, like that he's clearly more worldly than. It, a if, simple I guess, gleeman, I guess my maybe. thought was, if they decide, um, if this character has somehow survived into season two or season whatever it is, then I believe that they would then want to show other aspects of him, right? Like, we saw this part of him. Like, I, it feels like that's what they're doing, right? They're trying to not just have it be, these are all the parts of these people. They're trying to introduce, like, here's a part of this person. And if you see them again, maybe you'll learn a different thing about them kind of thing, right? Like, that's how I felt about Tom. Like, they were not getting everything about him. And you totally get that. If, you totally, like, the, the minute he stops playing and starts talking to the guys, and especially the conversation with Matt outside of the end later, like, you get that there's way more to this guy yes. than just an entertainer yeah. at, a, at a bar, right? Uh, that was and, the and redeeming like, scene with me when, when he was going out, out by the aerial and he was talking about a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like... Okay, that's how they're going to show that this guy knows his stuff, that he's, yeah. he's deeper than the other and folks. And like right? the wolves earlier that we talked about earlier, like they introduce him and then they kick the rest of the plot off to season two or three, right? Like they're just like, here's a guy. He's interesting. He's got, there's way more to him than what meets the eye. And then he's gone. And then, you know, we have to, we have to live with that. And I think episode three does a really good job of setting up Tom as more than just more than just a gleeman, more than just the guy they met at the bar. Like, there's something special about him. And um, I think that's a really great decision that they did. His first introduction, I was like, okay, what kind of adaptation of Tom are we getting? You know, have they just decided they're going to completely change Tom into something else to serve some other plot purpose? It wasn't until his scenes with Matt where I was like, oh, okay, I see, like... Matt, what they did with Matt and his his parents, right? You get this feeling like Matt does not have anyone that he, you know, mentoring him, if you will. And and this person, he actually kind of like listens to this person. And this person brings this, you know, right? There's some wisdom that he passes on to Matt here, right? He, he, he interacts with Matt. His interactions with Matt is what makes their choice make sense to me here. It, because Matt was willing to open up his mind his his ears to this person i don't know that matt would have been in that position with the tom that we got in Emmons field like if that makes any sense like here mm -hmm. he is where he right they people brought up this fact like he took matt's coins you know he he stole from matt you know or whatever it was and like that's not tom that's not my tom or whatever um 
But then you have him later on find Matt with the Aiel in the cage. And all of a sudden there becomes like Matt is somehow interested by Tom, who Tom is and willing to listen. And so I think they wrote it specifically to connect those two uh, purposely. Uh, and I, that's when I was like, that's when it clicked for me in episode three. And then the Dana side of Tom, where <laughs> it was like, okay, he's like this dashing Western singer dude in this old, you know, in, and then he has his like, uh, really wise, you know, mentoring side that there's more than meets the eye here with Matt. And then he chucked a dagger <laughs> from however far and knows and kills this, what ends up being this dark friend. And you're like, who is Tom? By the end of that episode, I loved Tom. I, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It built, it built for me because the first I was like, okay, I don't really get where they're going, right? It, this one took me, uh, the entire episode and in episode four, I was much more like by episode four, the end of it, I was like, yes, I, I, I like this Tom that we've met. And so, um, anyways, long way to say that initially I was like, what? Well, one thing I'll add to your commentary is that in my, um, my purview, Matt has already started to slide down the degrading Matt and his conversation with Tom brought him back to sane Matt. So just by the wisdom and stuff that Tom had, I mean, Tom doesn't know Matt from a hole in the ground, but it actually brought Matt back to the guy that you would have expected in, in two rivers. I'll use this, the, the story on the show. Uh, because he'd already started, like he, Matt, or sorry, uh, Rand asked him a few times, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you being such a dick, right? Like, you're obviously just doing stuff. So he'd already started that slide down the dark side, always looking for the negative things. They're dead, Rand. They're going to do... But his conversation with Tom, and I agree, I thought that, that was what a great uh, exchange that was, as, of course, after the uh, dagger goes through the back of Dana's throat. But uh, uh, that brought Matt back to sane Matt. So he, it gave me the glimmer of hope that Matt could be saved. That, that that was one of my takeaways from the conversation, that somehow Matt can be rescued from where he's going. And I, I think it's only on because of the rewatch. I know where they're going with Matt going nuts. And I think they do a much deeper job of that in the show overall than the book. The book, to me, was a bit more subtle on that because everything is in Rand's perspective. But um, uh, I just it was just something I picked up watching it tonight. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, with all of that and especially on rewatch with Tom I appreciate him more and more every time the way that we're able to see his multifaceted layers I mean even when he walks up to the boys because it's not Tom that steals the purse from Matt right like it was like that old old like little wizardy chap who like walks past (laughs) bumps him and then you see Tom bump into him and take it back um so Mm -hmm. on rewatch now i'm like i think he definitely intended to actually return that purse to them i don't think it was going to be like this is how you learn a lesson the hard way but you know here's some breathing room boys like you're in the big world now bad people exist shit can happen like keep you got to keep eyes up and like your hands on your purse that right where did matt was being trailed (laughs) right like as in you know like uh you both times Tom shows up and you're like, "Hey, uh, what?" So he clearly keyed on in on something and was yeah. purposely protecting them, if that makes sense. So you, there's something you learn about Tom in that moment. Like he could have walked, but he didn't. He was interested in these two people, and then it leads to why because episode four he learns more. Like, um, and it almost makes you wonder if Tom did know before the 
I mean, maybe that's a question for all three of you. Did Tom know that Dana was a dark friend always? Like before they mm. got there, was he aware know. of Dana? And do you think he was kind of like, or do you think he came to that understanding? And how would he have come to that understanding? Because as far as we know, yeah, he was kind of far away to be listening to her conversation when she was like, no, I'm with. I was just going to say, as a show watcher, you kind of got. You, you got introduced to her being different because she knew their names. They knew she knew a bit of their backstory, and it kind of watched her. Why would you know their names, and why would you tip them off that you know your name? So, first of all, dark friends. How, what, like, how much info do you know about these guys? Right? Like, I, 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 that's a question that I haven't had answered in it. But so Dana starts saying, "Well, you know, your friend Rand is doing this, and you know, you, you got these other people, and and it's like, wow, you know a lot of stuff." Uh, so. But you're right. Tom wouldn't have heard that. So I, I love your question. When would yeah. Tom have known? Is that why he was there waiting to protect them? That's, that's a great question. I I'm, I'm I had forgotten, by the way, some of the stuff you were talking about in episode four. I haven't watched episode four since last January. So it's it's a long time out of my head. I'm looking forward to rewatching it this week because uh, I really I, I love Tom. Tom's probably my favorite character out of book one out of other than the four dudes right i just thought he was great and i do like the tom waits version of tom that we get in the thing and i will if you like put some tom waits on in the background <laughs> if you want to get the growly uh, voice i think the way i justify it to myself is that tom has been around him and dana clearly know each other the way she like mm. you know the the cheeky little donation for a gleeman um that she says after you know tom asks them uh, the the back and forth play, he's clearly been at that in a number of times. I am wondering, now that you've posed this question, if Tom noticed the way that she was treating Rand and Matt is different than how she has treated other people who I'm have... I'm going to actually go back and watch that opening segment because I just passed it. I'm going to go back and watch it again just to see if he's watching her. Because the first thing you see him is you can see the strum of the guitar and stuff. You can't really see his face, but I'm just gonna. That that one's mostly mostly about Rand, like, and Rafe was like basically mm. like he you know, he's been answering questions while Dragon Mount does their rewatch, and what he said about that scene is just just watch Rand's face while um, Tom is singing "The Man Who mm. Can't Forget," and I did tonight, and it was like Yosha Stradowski has some acting the tears, chops, the... like he. That was a really, really impactful scene. And it's, again, one of those things that just keeps hitting harder every time I rewatch the show. Um, but yeah, Brian, your thoughts maybe on uh, on Tom and Dana's relationship and if he suspected prior to Rand and Matt. I don't, I don't think he suspected anything. I think they were just friends. Um, I think if he knew Tom is, you know, like we said, Tom's been around the block a time or two. I think if he knew there was a dark friend, he would have done something about it. Um, but uh, I do have a funny story about Tom, which is uh, there. There's a there was a long period of my life where I read the books and I didn't talk about them out loud with people. And that period was from like 1998 to about 2007 to 2008 to uh, uh, the first Jordan Con. Um, so 2009. So 1998 to 2009, I read the books and I typed about them online and I never said them out loud. And it never occurred to me that Tom's name is pronounced Tom. Oh, no. Because there's an H in there. And I was like, Thumb. His name is Thumb. <laughs> Thumb. And it never, it never occurred to me 
that it was actually Tom, like Thomas. <laughs> um, and uh, until I went to JordanCon and somebody said Tom, and I'm like, who's Tom? Oh, oh. Oh, you mean Tom. Okay. So <laughs> that's my, my Tom story for uh that's for a good me, story. Just, I like that. I, and, and that's when I realized, like, you should never make fun of people for mispronouncing words because the odds are that they've only ever read the word before and yes. you shouldn't make fun of people for reading. So um, that's that was my moral lesson of the day. Don't make fun of people for reading. Uh, and always read the glossary. <laughs> glossary schmossary. Um, I'll never <laughs> look at the glossary. Yeah. I can't even, I can't even read, like, the IPA pronunciation. Like, I'm like, I can't. Those dots, those dots mean nothing to me. <laughs> Upside down E, what is that? What <laughs> is this? Chipperish. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Tom's multifaceted layers. We see it in the Save the Cat moment. Let's talk about when him and Matt go out to the IEL. I know we've, we've touched on it briefly, but that is, it's a standout moment to me from uh, this show for sure. Because, you know, we see Matt, we see Matt going to steal. And then we get to see the danger of Tom when we get the bat. I lo- like it's one of my favorite directorial moments of the episode when we just see Tom pull out the dagger, and you don't know who it is yet, and it's just the back of him. And like we see Matt, and then it's you know kind of like a knife off or a dagger off between um, Matt and Tom. We get the save the cat moment when Tom is like, "I came here to bury the Aiel." Uh, some beautiful exposition on what Aiel are. A very intentional zoom into the red hair. <laughs> which is like, you don't see that out of the waist. Wah! <laughs> and then a little bit more about uh, why Matt was going to rob basically the dead body and like real, real deep understanding um, from Tom that I loved, which is just, you know, we we all have to make very difficult choices sometimes and do difficult things. And like the heaviness in his eyes when he says that is, yeah, I loved it. The whole back and forth between them, seeing Matt become a little bit more Matty again and like a little bit more human um, and seeing Tom really identify with Matt uh, rather than Rand was a, a, choice that i like that the show made still trying to throw us off the scent of who the dragon reborn is and having tom kind of look and and want to protect matt from from the world and you know what we find out in episode four is is his concern over what might happen yeah i think uh that's one of my favorite sequences from the episode is the tom and matt interaction with the aiel um i do like the quick inner inner quick introduction to the aiel um because again it's one of those things where like they throw some world building at you and then they kick the can down the road. We'll deal with that later, but don't forget yeah. it. Um, and, uh, and and then there's a couple of Easter eggs in there for us. There's a little uh, stone dog uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, thingy that he pulls out of the uh, pocket. Um, and if you know, you know. And if you don't, you'll have to keep reading. Um, the uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, that, I really love that conversation. Again, it shows that Tom's been around the block a time or two. He knows more than he's letting on. Um, it also highlights him, again, as dangerous. I like the dagger moment that you mentioned. He's a very dangerous person. Um, and this is also the beginning of Matt becoming very suspicious of people. Um, it's the moment where he's like, hmm, I'm not the friendly Matt, the smart-ass Matt that I was before. I am now suspicious of people. That's the first time we get that that hint after episode two. 
Um, so I think there's a lot there. And, uh, and, and, and oh, and, and cutting down the IEL shows Tom to be an honorable person. So even though he was, he had uh, drawn the dagger, the knife to, as he approached Matt, it kind of subverts your expectations a little bit, flips it around, go, actually, this is an honorable person. You can probably trust him, um, which is way different than anybody else that we've met, like Moraine, Lan, uh, Leandrin, everybody else that we've met, uh, even the, the, the Tuatan, uh, Perrin and Egwene are like, well, I'm not sure about you people. But Tom is like, bam, this guy we know as, as watchers, he's an honorable person from that. So uh, they did a really good job of, of adding that in and, and kind of, like you said, misdirecting us from, from Rand. That's a great summary. I, and, and I'm not a reader, but I understood everything you said there. And I feel that uh, it's a great, great summary on Tom. I, I just think you Thank nailed you. it yeah. on, uh, on how they conveyed it. Again, yeah. Good, good, good choices. Uh, if you're going to introduce Tom later, right? That's the question, right? They decided we're gonna we're gonna introduce him later. But where do you introduce him? Introducing him on the road, uh, consolidating Matt and Rand's travels down to this single kind of event, but making it adding some complexity to it, adding in this idea of Dana representing all these dark friends, giving some exposition on the motivation of a dark friend to kind of help our you know, it's like, oh, so these people exist. Well, yeah, coming soon, right? Like, uh, so the idea of of what they've done here with Brainspring and Dana and Tom being introduced. How do you introduce Tom? How does he even get involved with Matt and Rand? Like, why would they trust him? Like, they're asking all these questions and they're answering them with, again, interesting to bring in a, this caged Aiel, right? And to to have there be this kind of angst obviously for the Aiel and and uh and to show like you said uh some that there's much more to Tom than they understand and that he he gets in a way like I never felt like well this is so unrealistic why would they go with this guy right. there was never that moment the only moment I had was interesting like but what else is Tom hiding you know but that's that's a good question you should you should have that question right like uh what are all these characters hiding you know what do, what don't I know about Tom but they they wove Tom into the story in a in a clever way. Again, I, I, the writers of this episode was the twins. Uh, the yeah, I the Clarkson twins. Right. The Clarkson twins. Like I wanted after this episode, I was like, how many more episodes did they write? <laughs> I was like, did they write four? And did they write five? And did they write? You know, like I was I was hoping to see the Clarkson twins. The way they made adaptation choices. Now I know maybe large writers' room. It's not just their episode only. But I feel like they have the writing credit because probably some of these adaptation choices were were ones that they had made, and uh, so I, I, I you know, ha- my hat off to the Clarkson twins because of all of the adaptation choices, mo- a lot of my favorite ones come here in this episode. I think you guys just answered to me why this was your favorite episode because as a never reader or barely reader. All the stuff you're talking about, I missed half the stuff you're talking about. Like uh, the dog in the pocket, the ale. As a, as a longtime fantasy reader, I get the fact that they lay things and you come back to stuff. But okay, great. Was, this is a guy who was killed for the wrong reason and there's stuff on him, but I'm sure we'll come back to him. But I don't know when. I don't know how important it is. And it seemed to me that this episode really circled back to a lot of the key themes that Jordan had, right, in, in the books. But 
I've, I've read one and I didn't have all the layers and there's a lot of the stuff like the last time I saw Tom, he was blown up by one of the, uh, one of those toothless guys, eyeless guys. Um, so, uh, and, and of course then the character reveals because they started layering and I've loved this about the show from the, the very first time I said how they subtly layer in the character qualities and depth and all that stuff really with the, the most minimal interaction. So now I appreciate why you guys think it's the, the I not a lot of action, not a lot of plot development to me as a watcher in this. So it's like, wow, why is everybody so excited by this? But I get it. I, I, I understand, right? Like I, it's all the other stuff. That they're laying, saying, "No, no, we haven't forgot you. No, no, this is going to come. <laughs> May not be season one, but don't. We're going to get to it. It's yeah. okay. We got this under control. We, we, we like this RJ guy. We're, uh, we're going to, we're going to come back to it. So I appreciate yeah. that. Now. Yeah, it, it is like you're right. There, it's. I feel like it's probably never going to be like people that haven't read the books or haven't read much of the books that this is their favorite episode because it, it just is all about the adaptation choices and knowing where certain things are going that this one really speaks so loudly in my head as compared to all of the other episodes. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and I, and as a kid, like I picked up the books when I was 15. And so I'm reading the story of Rand and Matt alone. And I'm imagining myself with my friends out on the road somewhere. Right. And, mm. and to see it Stand kind by of, me kind of, scenes, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a great way to put it. And, and to then to have them like that would have really bummed me out as a reader, if we hadn't gotten any of the Matt and Rand travels. So to, so to see them split up in a way that I was familiar with and to know, like, I was like, yes, that means episode three is coming. And, uh, there's going to be, there better be some dark friends and there better be, you know, we better see Matt begin to devolve, and we're, uh, what are we going to see with Rand? What's going to happen with him? And so this was like, I was like, wow, okay, we actually did get a really good adaptation of that in a single episode. Now, the, well, I should say, I, I, the, the combination of three and four really worked for me with that storyline. Like, I love this aspect of four with Matt, Rand, and Tom that continues. I would say the same thing. I think that was a brilliant adaptation of what happens in the books to what happens to Matt, Rand, and Tom on their way to uh, Camelin. So, uh, yeah, I, this is the, kind of the first half of it, which I really love. I was going to say, I agree with you completely. And I think that the Dana-Rand plotline that we're going to move into... now, I'm going to move us in. Sorry. Take us. Uh, we're moving into Rand, Rand and Dana. Um, and, and, and we go, you know, they, they meet each other at the end. Tom plays the song. They have the interaction with Tom, but then, uh, Rand goes outside, chops some wood. Uh, Dana comes back out, talks to him, gives him a room. They do this weird thing where I was like, who's watching the end while you're in the room with Matt? No, 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 no. Um, but, uh, you had this great like sequence where, um, Dana is establishing a rapport with Rand and Matt and gaining their trust and then uh and then you get the little twist at the end where she's like aha the you know my masters are coming to get you i, I called them the mirror drawler on the way and uh you're just like oh my god she's the dark friend and then the you know we get that but what's really brilliant about this and the, and the reason that to answer your question why this is my favorite episode is actually this entire sequence because in the book, this this whole Matt and Tom and uh, Rand journeying through, or Matt and Rand journeying through on the way to Camelin, um, 
by themselves is is like 40% of the book. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. this huge, huge chunk of Eye of the World. It's just Matt and Rand going from end to end to end, sleeping in hay bale to hay bale to hay bale, meeting Els Grinwell, meeting, uh, uh, you know, getting attacked by people, uh, Pater, Samuel Hake, you know, all of these people show up. And, and, and what they did in the show was they condensed it to one, one in, one person, one, but you get the whole thing. You get the whole, like, uh, the fear, the uh, the dark friends, the attempted murder, the Mirjala coming. You get the sense that anybody can be a dark friend. You get all of this stuff, all from just that one experience with Dana, which to me makes Dana like the standout character of the season, in my opinion. Like she's the one that really checked the most boxes for me uh, across the board. And, you know, and, and, all of it was unexpected. All of it was new. And that's the best kind of storytelling because the best kind of storytelling is familiar, but different, right? Like whenever we, we're all average fantasy reader fans, if you read a fantasy book that's just totally different, you can't relate. I don't know what an oogie boogie is and I don't know what it looks like. And you're, you're giving me lots of mythology there and I don't know what that means. But if you talk about goblins or orcs or something, okay, I know what a goblin is. You don't have to build a whole mythology for me. And then you tell a new story, subvert expectations. And that's what they did here was they took our story that we're very familiar with. They subverted our expectations. And this to me is the adaptation change that is 100% based on the books, but fresh and new and different. And it's very obvious to anybody watching why they did that. Um, where like the Layla thing, why did they do that? Don't know. Why did they drag Nynaeve off in the episode one and have her come back in episode three? Uh, we can kind of explain it maybe. Why does, you know, why are all these things happening? But Dana makes perfect sense from everybody watching it. And every time you watch it, you go, wow, they just took this whole thing, gave us the whole run of emotions, moved that whole plot forward, skipped 40% of the book in one episode and get, you know, gave us the, everything we needed there. And now we can move on and see what else is happening. And I thought that was just a really brilliant, brilliant part. And that's why this episode is my favorite. In addition to what you mentioned about the Matt and Tom interaction with all the world building and layering and stuff that's going on there. But for me, the Dana Rand moment and then the run afterward when they're fleeing and Tom kills her and all this stuff, like that was blood pumping, interesting. I gasped. I was like, and never, I've read the books a hundred times. I should not have been surprised by any of this, but the showrunners made me surprised at a very important point in the show, in the books. Uh, that's just masterful writing. That is, I, I don't know how they pulled that off, but yeah. they did. Oh, 1,000% agree. 1,000%. And I think the real devastation and the, the worst part about Dana is that we won't get a Zuka Hoyle again because Dana's dead. dead. <laughs> um, yeah, I every so I think what Zuka Hoyle as Dana was able to do and make us, you know, I really liked her. I loved the banter. I loved, um, you know, the, her and Rand's play. Like again, one of the greatest lines: "The Clarkson twins." I don't know. Like Matt, do you know if they're coming back for season two? I haven't checked in I, on a Watt series to like, see if I don't feel like they are. Yeah. I think they are. I thought they were writings for some of their series of their own or something. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, that's the the sad thing was I kept on looking to see if they had done any of their episodes or what. I I don't know how writers' rooms work. I don't know if they were there for the entire time for the whole season. I don't know how you get a writing credit or you don't. Like I don't know how much of what you know what I mean. I don't know if it has to be like sixty percent of what is what you wrote so you get the credit. I all I know is uh, I see their names come up 
And I'm like, yeah, set set into this episode, and I'm ready for the story they're going to tell. Um, yeah, I, I, to Brian's point, I should have known that Dana was a dark friend, but that but moment didn't. that Rand, she starts talking to Rand, I was like, oh yes, this is the, you know what I mean? It, they, like Brian said, they subverted that. Like we should have known exactly what was happening, and even for some of us, we were, they they got us into the episode in a way that we. We kind of were just like settling in and actually just taking the story in and not kind of counting like where's my dark friend, where's my this, and it felt like like Brian said to me, just like oh wow, like they they caught me off guard because all the other episodes I'm like okay, Shatter Logoth, yes, okay, uh, get dagger done, okay, uh, split up, yes, okay, uh, lame part with Perrin and Egwene running across the plains that I don't really care about, yes, done, okay, but then there was a moment where I was like okay, Matt and Rand, and I was. There was like it dispelled that tendency I had, and I was able to live it uh, in that moment. And I liked that about if they if I, any of the episodes I this happened to me a little bit in seven where Rand um, has that kind of like where you see kind of going back through Rand's experience mm-hmm. when he sees like his father and everything, and I kind of just lived in that moment, and I wasn't like check you know I was just like oh yeah this is that oh my gosh this is the moment uh, so I, I seven ends up on the kind of in my top four, if you will, also because they, they were able to kind of adapt things and pull me in in a way where I wasn't just kind of checking things off. And Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the change that they made, I mean, when we meet Samuel Hake, for example, in the books, it is like, it is so obvious that he's the villain. He's a sleazeball like, from the first word. <laughs> His shoes are yeah. described and the way he like leads him into, you know, the... the um seller that Rand ultimately channels out of to escape. I didn't even think of that when Dana was like, here, like, come, let's have some beers. You know, she's like making it so chill. You know, you can be as loud as you want and no one will hear a thing. Nothing like a bit of slap and tickle to sort out relationship (laughs) woes. Like, this is the banter that we're getting. It's amazing. And it wasn't until, and this is so embarrassing, but it wasn't until she literally said like, was it like I braided my hair like her? And yeah, then he's like, like who? And she's like, Egwene. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> How did I okay, miss so this? So that's, that's when I noticed it too. So I just want to say I feel actually pretty good because you guys know your stuff and I don't know anything. It's like, wow, that's an odd reference yeah. with a braid to a Egwene. Like, good job with that. Oh, she's not good. No, she's not. No. <laughs> oh, crap. Like I almost felt like it almost felt like – Okay, I'm, it's one of those moments where they're like, we'll just tell you. You clearly haven't uh, put it together yes, yet. Yes, <laughs> I, am, I am the bad person, right? And I was like, oh, wow, I'm usually not I – mean, how can I get caught off guard in – again, episode three does that in ways that other episodes struggle for me to do. Like I'm just waiting for things to happen versus kind of just living in the story itself. And so maybe that's – the they did a good job of that. I think part of why it worked, though, is because, like I said – this is not made up out of whole cloth. Like this is mm-hmm. a something that is in the books. We're not caught. We're not caught off guard by going like, "Oh, what does this scene even mean?" Like, you know, there, there are a bunch of scenes in 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 like uh, other episodes where like the Layla thing. You're like, we're sitting there like, 
what's this Layla thing? This, this makes no sense. And so we're, we're thinking really hard about it. But then we get to episode three and they took this whole sequence that we, we knew was coming. We were waiting for it and they condensed it down and we're, we're basically like, oh yeah, okay, this is, this is supposed to happen. I'm here. I'm with you. They're going to go to the ends, a bunch of ends probably. And then that's going to happen. And, and so we got lulled into this sense of complacency because it wasn't a strange adaptation right it was a very reasonable adaptation and we were just along for the ride well said yeah yeah and then what you know ultimately made dana a standout character to me and and really one of my favorite moments of the series and i i expect that the show By is the way, going she to says that a lot i do she it's, says uh, that a lot. it's the running theme of this podcast is i actually like the show <laughs> and <laughs> i like things that happen in it <laughs> um but this gets me excited for seeing forsaken in future seasons and hopefully expanding on some backstories uh, of a couple of my favorites um but really when we get to hear about ishamayal when we get to hear about breaking the wheel when we get to hear about the last person who brought the dragon to the dark one when we get to hear about motivation for being a dark friend that it doesn't um it's suffering continues to happen the world is not good people continue dying people continue murdering people continue to do bad things and the only way that this is going to stop is if we break the wheel you have to break the wheel you have to save humankind and like what an intro like i know that was certainly was not brainstormed on the podcast. Um, and I loved it. I just, the way that they were able to make sense of why you would choose to be a dark friend in under 30 seconds really resonated with me. And I am so excited to see that aspect continue on to explain why some people would choose to serve the great Lord. Exactly. And like this, you mentioned the Samuel Hake in the books, which is so cartoonishly villain <laughs> like you, you could imagine the long twirled mustache yes. right and and the monocle and everything and and and, and dana is like a totally believable normal person who did a bad thing you know it's for a reason for, like, yeah. like for a reason for, that for she reasons that any of us in. might have chosen right it's believe it's, she's a believable dark friend like i've always thought that's the, re the reason we did that episode so long ago was was why why would you do that because the books don't really uh, i mean a couple of characters do but they're kind of cartoonish reasons it's like if we were if we were in the world of the wheel of time why would we be dark friends um and uh because we live in a world where there's evil and there are people that do evil things why why do they do evil and uh what is it about this world that makes people think like oh i'm gonna be something called a dark friend like <laughs> I, yeah, I must be a good guy to be a dark friend. Like, no, no. But Dana is like, she's a good person who wants to be, have adventure and do things and, and be more than just a, a barmaid at a tavern and, and see the world. But she can't because she's stuck here for reasons. And and gosh, wouldn't it be great if I could just leave? You know who's going to let me leave? This guy who says if I, if I get these two kids and lock them in a room, I'm good. Uh, what? That's a should, that's a small should, price to pay. We for the freedom that I want. That's totally believable. About why anyone would want to be a dark friend. That's a great idea, Matt. <laughs> That's a good topic. Yeah, I think only a genius would come up with that. Put on the hat. Put on I, the hat. Two, <laughs> two things I want you guys, because I, I know you'll be living your life and your dreams at JordanCon in April. What is the avid reader's favorite episode? Is it three? I think, I, I suspect it will for the reasons you guys go. And the number two is, 
who amongst this room that you're in are dark friends because you heard a good thing and that you wanted to follow. So, yeah, I feel, I, I, I feel like, uh, a lot of people say four is their favorite yeah. episode. A lot of people that I know have read the books love four and don't love three as much. Uh, mm. they'll, they'll, I'll say the three and they'll be like three. Eh, it was okay. Uh, but four, I've heard a lot of people love four. Um, yeah. A lot of people love one for reasons that I totally understand, but I can't get behind completely. I, but this goes to Brian's point about one, the part where they have the battle in, you know, Eamon's field. That is so, that's the one where I get just immersed in it because why in the books, there is an attack that happens and Moraine and Lan are there. But in the books, you yeah. don't see any of that. <laughs> you're like stuck with you're like you're like stuck with Rand. And you know, and you get there and like, <laughs> and then you're like, there's just desolate. There's like destruction, and you're like, what happened? You know, and you're like, why did they get stuck with Rand? I want to see what you know. They're all talking about what happened, and so they chose to show us what happens when that town is attacked, basically. And that was another that was another moment in the series where I kind of just settled in, and I was like. Whoa, that was a crazy twenty minutes, like or whatever it was, fifteen minutes, and I and enjoyed it. So, yeah, I, I think that for book fans, at least that I've spoken to, it's when we have those moments where they've taken something from the book. It's not whole cloth different; it's partially <laughs> different. They've shown us something that does happen, but they've condensed it down, or they've they're just telling it differently from a different point of view, or. That's when and they really surprised kind of, us with it. And they surprised us with it. And that's that's where I think I've seen the best reactions to like that was really good. It's when whole cloth something happens that's completely different. We're all like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, and where then did we that come ca- from? and then it just like 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 Grendel says, we come back like a year later and we're like, oh okay. Well, I've seen this now seven times or whatever it is, <laughs> and now I kind of now it's 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 normal because yeah. I've seen it and so I expect it, so right. it doesn't bother me as much or something. One one missed opportunity, I think, in this episode was at the very beginning with Nynaeve and uh, the Trolloc and the two Trolloc. We get that Trolloc and Trolloc action. Um, I would have liked them to, like, fight a little bit. And one of them go, no, narc, smart, and then kill the other Trolloc. Oh, like, that would have been, been good. Yeah. a perfect little I, Easter I, egg I, yeah. and shown how, like, Trollocs have personalities and they hate each other. And that, <laughs> that, would, get that would have been great. Like the oh, Narg smart good. in the uh, in in the um, in the house in that first episode, that wouldn't have worked as well because that that Trolloc wasn't particularly smart. Um, <laughs> but it would have been funny to throw that in this episode because because that would have also subverted expectations. We would have seen the Trolloc, and then it would happen in the third episode. We all would have been like, oh, "That just happened! Oh my god!" And like we would have been so much more excited than if it had happened in the ash where it happened in the books. So. I know. I was hoping so in uh, in Rings of Power. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched the season all yeah, the way through, I uh, but I watched it with subtitles on because I've just I, Wheel of Time turned me on to that last year, and I haven't stopped doing it. And one thing I love that Rings of Power did is like whenever the orcs were talking, they would name them. So yep. you knew. And so, it was, yeah, like with, with this, I mean, even if we didn't get Narg smart, like fully, if we just got a guttural, but like in the subtitles, it was just like, like Narg. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah. <laughs> Something like been that, too. right? Just like a little bit of like, I see you. I see you, book fans. We got yeah. you. We got your Narg. And by the way, um, the dark we were talking is about clearly this, Grendel. Uh, it's me. Yeah. So. Clearly. Yeah. 
I mean, if, if you didn't pick up on that from like the end of Rings of Power when I was like, yeah, whatever Sauron is saying or like selling, I am in. I am buying it. <laughs> yeah. And we prefer Friend fault. of the Dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this episode, it hits harder every time I watch it. I feel like I say that at the end of every episode, honestly. I'm really enjoying three this Three for three so far. Three for three. I'm like, I'm enjoying sitting in it a lot more and just sitting in the world again now that my expectations have been tempered, now that I know where everything is going, now that we know about the COVID and the filming um, stuff that happened. I mean, even with Barney Harris, we didn't actually know that he left at the end of episode six. Like that was never fully disclosed until after the season aired, like it was suspected that that's when he stopped, but there was still some hope that maybe he came back and finished off filming. Um, it was never announced uh, until they went to the New York Comic-Con panel um, that he wasn't going to be returning for uh, season two, but that's all they said. He wasn't returning for season two. We heard nothing about episode seven and eight. So now that I know this and I've adjusted and it's like a year later, I am so happy to go back and watch these episodes and I take a little bit more from them each time I sit with it. And it does, it's starting to feel the way I feel like when I pick up Eye of the World, you know, every now and then. And it just feels a little bit more like home and a little bit more like I trust these guys. I'm excited to continue the journey with them. Um, yeah. And I just, I'm having fun. Uh, and in that vein, let's talk about the episode as a whole. We're going to go into the Rose and Thorn. So your favorite and least favorite. Um, Graham, we'll start with you because I know you've touched on your Rose already. But if you want to expand on that. Yeah, that scene where they cut after, you know... Nynaeve's had the knife to Lan's throat and tried to kill him and everything. And the next scene, of course, is she's tied to the tree. I just thought, A, that was funny because I don't know Nynaeve well, but I thought it was great. And just the frustration in her eyes was great. I just loved that scene and it actually made me laugh when I when I watched it. Um, from a thorn perspective, probably just the smarminess of that, that dude in the, uh, the travelers. I can't remember his name again, <laughs> Abraham. but it was, it wasn't a bad, like, it was like, Ooh, gross. Like, who are you trying to not hit on in this? Like, what are you doing here, man? But it was, it was great. I understand the character. It just uh, didn't, didn't enjoy it, but that was, uh, that was just me. Brian. Yeah. I, uh, my favorite part, uh, is the flight with Dana when they're running through town and then they have a little confrontation and then the knife appears out of her throat. That was the highlight. Like I gasped. I was shocked. Uh, you know, uh, that just like won me over, I think. Um, so that would be my favorite part. Um, my least favorite part, I guess would be the, um, the way that the, we, the wolf, the wolf thing worked out. I just didn't think that was wolfy enough, you know, wolf brother enough. Um, and, and I wanted to, I wanted watchers to really get that Perrin has a special connection with the wolves. And I, uh, I think you get that there's a connection, but you don't know what the connection right. is. And I kind of wanted, like, I wanted his eyes to change colors or I wanted his, to have like a telepathic communication with them or something, um, a little bit more. So I was, that was the part I was the most disappointed about. Matt? Uh, for... For me, the uh, the rose has to be just Rand and Matt's banter, especially oh my once they God. get to Brand Spring and like when he's like cutting the wood, and their 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 chatter back and forth to me is well, it's the comp- this is 
they did this so well, which is why the Thorn side is the reflection of this, which pisses me off because they wrote that banter so well that I was like, this is, there's some complexity of a relationship here and just the way they're needling each other, needling each other and like what they're saying. I really believe this is Rand and Matt. Like I'm in. Then my thorn is the relationship between Perrin and Egwene. I have to go back and watch the episode, but I feel like they, they didn't give us Elias and they kind of gave us this like weird wolf thing happening. So they had time. That is to say, like, there was no one else. They were on the planes. They were alone. This could have been a much more complex relationship in, a, you know, in a, you know, like, uh, inspection from the viewer standpoint of who are Perrin and Aguirre and who are they as friends. And they could have, this could have touched on Layla in much deeper tones. This could have touched on their relationship deeper in some way. And I, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it stays pretty surface. Uh, you know, and I just feel like that was a lost opportunity. Like it felt like a waste where they made the best of Matt and Rand's relationship. Like they did stuff, but they were still talking and it built something. And I felt like there was a wasted opportunity with Perrin and Egwene in that moment on the planes. That's when you tell people crap. You don't tell anybody else. So when you're driving across the planes, you're alone. There's no one around except for some wolves. <laughs> like that's when you say stuff. They, they miss this opportunity. And I feel like if the writers would just go back and give us something, I feel like that friendship of a parent and Egwene would actually come out stronger and people would understand what Perrin says in episode seven much differently. But instead we get, I think, more kind of awkwardness and uh, reticence to really go deep. And that yeah. makes me sad. Yeah, no, I, I agree with That's that. Much. I mean, Perrin eventually tells Egwene that he was the one who killed Layla in episode five. And I think that there is an opportunity to have done it, as you mentioned, like in episode three, like she, there's the scene we get where she's, they're hugging. She's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And all he says is it is, but we don't really get anything more than that. It's just kind of like hugging and snuggling and and like gone all the way, but like build it in. There were ways to kind of layer that in, I think that more than they did just if they wanted to hold that for episode five, cool. But there could have been. There, there could have been much more that was going to go back and forth yeah. between the two of them than I felt like. They were just like cold and sad and... Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. My my rose is is uh, it's kind of a cheat. It's like a garden. Um, it's, it is the writing and it is the, the one-off lines that we get that just feel like, to me, like Matt um, and a little bit Rand. Like I like that we get a little bit of a cheeky Rand in there. Um the banter between him and Dana, you know, if I wanted a man, I could do better. Um, The way that they just integrate that, uh, the moment when he's outside cutting wood, uh, isn't she a bit young for you? Thought Moraine was more your speed. (laughs) And then, come on, we'll take turns. And Matt's response is, if you think she's up for it. (laughs) The wood, Matt. I just... (laughs) Everything, like the way that they they wrote that banter, it did feel to me, yeah, like I was on the journey with these guys. These are lifelong friends. They've known each other for 20 years. And because of the dialogue, I really felt that from the show. And you're right, that that is what was missing from Perrin and Egwene, uh, is that I didn't really buy that they were best friends of like 15 years or that there was like that deep Mm -hmm. connection between them and maybe they were trying to show that it had been fractured by the relationship with Layla I don't know um my 
my thorn would be, I think, not having... I don't know if it's fair to say, like, it's what we don't have in the episode, but my thorn is not having any real threat to Perrin and Egwene, not having, you know, the ravens even, even though it's like, it, I think it would be very campy and cheesy on screen, but not having that, not having the wolves actually be menacing, not having um, the white cloaks as like a potential option, not having any real danger, just feeling like we, feeling like Perrin and Egwene were filler. And every time that we spent away from like Rand and Matt or Nynaeve and Lan, it, it, I don't know. I I'm just imagining like, a, with and like a Monty Python sequence where they look back <laughs> and you see like these white cloaks are riding towards them, but then you don't see any white cloaks. But every time they look back, it's like the white cloaks are like way in the back and they're like, like they're going to catch us. It's like these white cloaks that are like this like ever present evil, but they never arrive. Right? I just do. That's uh, anyways. Yeah. I, I agree that I, maybe that's why I'm, I'm bothered by that. They did not have any antagonism. And so they, like that is this the moment to go deep in that relationship that would have well that's like a overarching theme in the first season too we don't have a big bad guy um and each each episode kind of has their own little mini bad guy and it's not even the final episode you don't get this sense you get the that hint there was of the, a, you know the, they kind of hint at it in the dreams yeah. they get the guy with you get balls with his crazy eyes in the dream sequences but they don't connect that through all the episodes um and so i think what we're describing here is actually like a symptom of the larger problem if there is no we don't know why they are they well we know why but it doesn't feel like they're in constant danger and that at any moment the bad guys could swoop in and something horrible could happen um and that's, I think that's what Dana brings to the story, but you're right, it doesn't happen with Egwene and Perrin at all. No. And, like, I mean, even with Nynaeve and Lan and Moraine, it's just, like, the danger that we could be losing Moraine. She's right. got a few hours, basically, until stuff happens. So there's at least something urgent and pressing, and, like, we're invested right. in making sure that Moraine is healed. So we feel an urgency when watching their plot that I yep. certainly <laughs> do not feel when we're in the plains. But... That wraps up our uh, our analysis and discussion of A Place of Safety. Um, great title. I love when they pull, I love when they pull chapter titles. Um, and this one really resonated because nowhere is safe. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, you've teased a little bit about Farside Chats and what we can expect. Are there any other small episodes that you want to put out before Christmas? Any other fun interviews coming up? Or are we just going to be on tender hooks waiting for the big reveal? I think you're just going to be on tender hooks until our special episode comes out. Um, we may do a surprise episode um, between now and Christmas if we haven't decided on anything in particular. But um that might happen. Uh, but our special episode, uh, a special project, I should say, um, might show up in uh, early next year. So stay tuned. I love it. Something to look forward to in 2023 while we're waiting on season two. Um, our special project of... is codenamed season two release date <laughs> announcement. Um, so you, you will definitely want to, uh, if you ever see any like files out there in the internet called season two episode, uh, season two release date announcement. That's actually our episode. So don't okay, listen to it until it. we're ready. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Um, do you know what would delight me more than even that is uh, if your special project was to be able to release the casting for Gowan and 
John from What Up. <laughs> just had to listen to it to find out. We'll try. We'll try. Um, so yeah, stay uh, tuned for that. Out. Thank you. Lafo. <laughs> uh, January 2023. Hopefully, we'll see. I know Matt's got a, a busy schedule ahead of him, but sometime can we can we say first quarter 2023? Definitely say first okay. quarter. It's <laughs> yes. here's the deal. It takes time. <laughs> what we're what we're trying to do is not like. Uh, if this makes sense, it's not something we can just sit down and talk about. It actually requires more than that, and uh, and some of that requires my time, and that's sadly why this has taken so much time. Uh, but uh, that is okay. I think if there's one thing we've seen is that uh, when the special projects come out, be it a dusty wheel project or a bar side chats, it's usually worth the wait. <laughs> I think so. Um, so we'll just wait for the. The final reveal, um, which will be in the first quarter of 2023. Uh, and we did this last week with Danny and Brett. I'm going to do it again. Um, season two release date. When is it? Uh, the, when's it, when's it? When's season two actually going to come out? Um, yeah. I'm going to say May. May. May 2023. Okay. Because, because Brian's going to say May, I'm say September 2023. Ooh. Okay. That's a long time. I'm like heavily committed to April, but I also just really want it to drop before JordanCon and finish before WatCon, <laughs> selfishly. <laughs> and I like to think that Amazon is sure, supportive they of totally, this. They totally listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, they they know that we need yeah. like panel content. <laughs> yeah, part of me thinks there's not. It's not going to come out in 2023, but we'll see. Uh, that would be rude. So I'm rooting for May. May. I love it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. It was a blast. Uh, You can catch us uh, every Thursday dropping new episodes as we go through our rewatch. Takaran Riyadh will be joining us for episode four. So stay tuned for that as we get to hear Joe, Tom, and Jen talk about Nynaeve's explosion. It's going to be a good one. Uh, thanks so much for listening, friends. Bye. Bye. Namaste. <laughs>